0: It's time for the Smart Money Questions podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions podcast. Hey, everyone. want to welcome you again. My name is Matt Hausman, your host for Smart Money Questions. And really excited, actually, on the the last podcast i recently did i talked about roth conversions and funding a roth and stuff like that we had some questions that came in as a follow-up or some suggestions on additional things to discuss so i'm going to go into that today plus there's a couple things that have come up with questions in meeting with clients and i'm going to go over what those were and how i addressed them so but first let's do the disclaimer I don't know you. Well, I might know you, but there's probably a good chance that I don't. So therefore, please, please do not take what I discuss on this show as direct advice for you. Treat it more as information and education that then you should discuss with your financial advisor, an attorney, CPA, or whoever you normally seek out counsel, if you do seek out counsel. Now, if you would like for me or us to be your advisor we can certainly have that conversation. We'll caution you though that normally we only take on about 30 to 40 percent of the people who seek us out. and it's not because we're overly selective. we just feel very strongly there is a right reason to hire an advisor and there's a wrong reason to hire an advisor. So if you'd like to seek us out, there's many multiple ways you can do that. Probably the easiest is to just call my office 610. 610- 719 That's area code 610 719 And we can schedule a time for us to talk or meet. But if you're not in the Metro Philly area, not to worry. We actually have clients in 10 states, and we're very comfortable working with people virtually if that's what you have interest in. Okay. So coming back again, I got some emails after the last podcast we did where we spoke about understanding tax characterization, money, what investments to put in different types of accounts, like the difference between IRAs, Roth IRAs, taxable accounts, things like that. And one of the questions I received was from Judy. And Judy's question was, just listen to the podcast about Roth IRA contributions. My question is about Roth IRA conversions. So with this right here, please understand, there is a difference between a contribution, and a conversion when it comes to the Roth IRA. Quite frankly, when you're looking at contributions into a traditional IRA, that's where you're putting money in up to a limit that is allowed on an annual basis. So currently in 2019, if you are under the age of 50, you can contribute, put money into a traditional IRA up to $6,000. Or a Roth IRA, if you qualify and you don't have too much income, you can put in 6,000. Or if you're over the age of 50, you can do 7,000 into both. Please understand a Roth contribution though, how much you put in is also limited if you're a high income earner and your income is over a certain threshold. But her question is about Roth conversion. So what we're talking about here is converting money from a traditional IRA account into a Roth IRA account. And she says, I am turning 59 in July. We no longer have income. So a Roth IRA contribution is out of the question. She is correct. So just to let you know, if there is no earned income in the household, then you cannot contribute to a Roth or a traditional IRA. But she does say, I have significant money in taxable Mutual funds plus rolled over money from an old 401k now in a traditional IRA. While we are in a lower tax bracket, I'd like to convert money into a Roth IRA. My question is, which by the way, that's a very good strategy. My question is from which type of accounts is it most tax efficient to fund a Roth IRA conversion? Should I convert from my taxable accounts first, then the traditional IRAs next, do I understand correctly that I will be penalized 10% if I convert from my traditional IRA before 59 and a half? And is there a limit to how much I can convert in a calendar year? So first of all, let's address this. Should I convert from my taxable accounts first, then a traditional IRA? When you are doing a Roth IRA conversion, please understand that the conversion can only come from a traditional IRA. Your taxable accounts, what that means is that's money that you have already paid tax on. Let's say it's in a traditional brokerage account where she's holding mutual funds. That money cannot be, quote, converted into a Roth IRA. You could use some of that money to contribute to a Roth IRA, but in this case, she doesn't have, or there's no income, earned income in the household, sounds like with her and her husband. So they couldn't contribute. So the only opportunity for a Roth IRA conversion comes from converting from a traditional IRA account, which this obviously she is saying that she has one. Now, the other question she has is, do I understand correctly that I will be penalized 10% if I convert from my traditional IRA before 59 and a half. And the answer to that is no, you will not pay a 10% penalty if you convert directly from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA pre 59 and a half. You will not pay a 10% penalty on that. The other thing to please understand, because many times I get this question and there's some confusion with this, by the way, with regards to any penalties, You would want to also review and understand your local or your state income tax law to know if there would be a potential state, maybe not a penalty, but a tax due on any of that converted before 59 and a half. So that's going to be state specific. It's real important to look at that. The other thing that you want to understand when you are converting money so she asks, is there a limit to how much I can convert? And the answer is no. You can convert as much as you want, but please understand, please hear me, whatever you're looking to convert, whether it's 10000 or 500000 that all becomes taxable income for you in that year, and you need to be prepared to pay whatever tax is due On that converted amount. So if we go back to what she said, we no longer have income, so we can't contribute, and our income level is low. Now would be the time to look to convert. Why? Because if our income is low, that means what we're converting, we're paying a lower tax or potentially a lower tax dollar on. So it's real important when you're looking at Roth IRA conversions to understand it can only come from. A traditional IRA, which is a pre-tax investment, where we're then going to convert to a Roth IRA. In that conversion, we're going to have taxes due on whatever amount. There is no limit and there's no 59 and a half rule or a 10% penalty if you're younger than that. So I always advise that you speak with a professional when you are looking to do this. Whether it's your, if you have a CPA, accountant, if you're doing your taxes on your own, I would suggest seeking counsel from someone else to make sure that you are doing that conversion correctly and that you have an understanding on what the taxes are going to be due and you're prepared to pay them. So, hopefully, that answers your question, Judy. We also had someone bring up, and this is actually a really good point from Roger, and that was the 10% penalty. So, kind of goes in correspondence with what she was talking about being under 59.5 if she converts, is there a 10% penalty? But, Roger wanted me to bring up what's called, most people refer to it as the IRS rule of 55 with regards to taking money out. I spoke about that in the last podcast. You want to be aware of that. So what the rule of 55 is, is that if you are over the age of 55 and you have either been laid off, you have been fired, or you quit your job, and you still have money in that company's 401k or 403b plan, is that you are then allowed through this rule, as long as the monies are still in the current plan. What I mean by that, if you have multiple 401ks out there from past employers, the only one that this rule is going to apply to is the 401k at your most recent employer. That if you still have money in there, you then can take withdrawals as early as 55 and not pay a 10 percent penalty. So it still has to be remaining in that 401k or 403b account. If you rolled that, as Judy mentioned, she rolled an old 401k into an IRA, that rule no longer applies. It has to be in your most recent employer-sponsored plan, 401k or 403b. If you are looking to do that, please Contact the professional that you're dealing with to make sure that you are executing this correctly so that 10% penalty, you don't have that as a surprise because it was done incorrectly. It's most important. It has to be the most recent employer plan, 401k plan, of where you were just released or quit or were laid off. Is where you would take that money from. So Roger, I'm glad you brought that out. That is a good thing to understand, especially if you are under 59 and a half, that situation has happened and you're needing to take money out. There are other situations that you would want to speak to your professional about, hardship, education, stuff like that, that you can pull money out. So Anytime it's before 59 and a half, make sure that you're speaking to someone that can give you tax advice. So what I mean by that is if your old 401k is at Fidelity, let's say, or E-Trade, and you're calling into there, they're not gonna give you tax advice. So it's real important to understand that. You need to be seeking counsel of a tax professional to make sure that that is done correctly. So hey, Roger and Judy, I really appreciate those follow-ups. Those were great questions. So let's. what I want to talk to you about today is I hear this a lot. I was speaking with a client, and they recently had inherited a rental property from their aunt that they weren't expecting. Kind of came as a shock to them. And the way they described it to me is that, first of all, they've never been interested in being a landlord or owning real estate like this. They currently just have their primary home and a second home, and that's all they ever wanted. But all of a sudden, now they've inherited this. And their concern is, you know, do we just go and sell it? But clearly she wanted us to have this. So, you know, how do we carry out what her wishes are? And I've I've had this happen multiple times, not just with real estate, but in all other forms of assets. And my response to them was this. Now, this is just my opinion. This is the way I would look at it is... If I had that same situation happen and I got a surprise of an inheritance of a rental property, is first and foremost, we want to be grateful and thankful that the aunt, and this is the way I would think, that the aunt thought of me in that way. But I'm sure that the aunt would not want to create a burden on me. And that's what I was explaining to them. If it's going to create a burden, I'm sure that's not what her intention was. So selling it and then using that money for what you would want, I would think is what she would ultimately want for you. She was wanting to give you something as a token of appreciation and love and stuff like that. But she, at the same time, she doesn't want to create a situation that you're not going to be happy with what she wanted to give you. So if it was me and I was just going, I would probably go sell it. Now, In my situation, I'm like these clients that we're talking about. I'm a mechanical zero. You know, the only person that does, you know, real, real outside of just cleaning the dishes and cleaning the bathroom, you know, Maggie's doing all of the home improvements or we're hiring someone because if I start to do it, it's just going to end up looking terrible. And I absolutely can't stand doing that kind of stuff. So if I was in this situation, I would actually, I would look to sell the property with the idea for me that the aunt did this as a way to give me something. But at the same time, she wasn't wanting to create a burden for me. So I'll end up telling you later what the clients end up deciding to do. They're still thinking about it. Obviously, I'm not wanting to go through this lightly. It's definitely something that you would want to think about. Maybe there's another avenue. Maybe there's another relative or someone that can help you if you decided to keep the rental. I'm just letting you know what I would do and what I spoke to them about it. And really trying to understand In my opinion, the ant's intention was in giving you something, but not wanting that something to create a burden. So this isn't the first time that has come up, but it just came up recently. And I wanted to uh, just let you know that, you know, these things happen and we need to be thinking about them and then how we are going to proceed. I want to address one of the other questions I got recently was, from Arnold. And Arnold says, a financial advisor once told me to consider doing a stretch IRA. But I heard something a few weeks ago that said new decisions from Congress might end this option. Can you shed any light on that strategy and if it's going to be around anymore? Boy, that is a loaded question That at the end if you're looking for my opinion. But let's talk about what a stretch IRA is. The biggest thing to understand about the stretch IRA, this is whether it is a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, is when that asset goes outside of the marriage, you know, husband and wife, when they inherit the other's IRA, the laws stay the same for them. But when it goes to your heirs, it's what's called a non-spousal inherited IRA, sometimes referred to as what he said as the stretch IRA. And essentially what that means, and please hear me because it's so important, there's no do-overs if this is done incorrectly, is that your heirs need to understand, first of all, that that money was IRA money, and that when they inherit it, they have to inherit it into what's called a non-spousal inherited IRA. And what they want to do is they want to make sure on whoever is going to be the custodian of that money... So I always refer to the custodian of the money as kind of the gatekeeper of the money. We'll say TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is going to hold the account for you. It has to be labeled correctly. The information that's going to be on that account is going to be on the person who originally owned the account when they were born, when they passed away, and then your information. And then the requirement is... That you have to now start taking minimum distributions, regardless of your age, but now based on your life expectancy, if it's done correctly, and not the person who passed. And so that's the stretch IRA rules. What it is, is we're stretching that tax characterization for an extended period of time and reducing the minimums that we have to take out because let's say that I inherited or my kids inherited mine and I am at this age and they are 30, 35 years younger than I am, obviously their life expectancy is greater, which means they have to withdraw less than what I'm doing. So that's what what's referred to as the stretch IRA rules. I might actually go back and do a podcast really diving into that. But basically you're looking to mitigate tax consequences long-term, you're also going to be taking out less because more than likely when you inherit a non-spousal inherited IRA, you're still in your earning years, your income is still up. I'm wanting to hold off on really taking money out of that account until a future time when my income has fallen. So that's where the stretch part really comes into place. The other thing to realize, it doesn't matter if it's done correctly and it's an inherited IRA, is that no matter what your age is, you have to start taking those minimum distributions. But if you're under 59 and a half, there is no 10% tax penalty because it's coming out of an inherited IRA. And by the way, your heirs can take out more than the minimum distribution. They just wanna make sure they take out at least the minimum distribution. And that's where making sure that the custodian that you're using will administer that for you. What that means is they'll do the calculations on what the minimum distributions are and make sure to send those out to you. Now, you have to sign forms for this, but make sure that they will send that out to you on an annual basis because if you don't take that minimum distribution on a stretch IRA or inherited IRA, you still have a 50% tax penalty on what you were supposed to take. So if I was supposed to take out $2,000 and I didn't do it, that's a $1,000 penalty plus the tax due on the $2,000. But let's go to what he's saying. The next thing he said, I have heard something a few weeks ago that said new decisions from Congress might end this option. Can you shed any light on that strategy? And if it's going to be around anymore? Well, currently it's around. But they, they meaning Congress, meaning D.C., they have been speaking about this for eight, nine years on doing away with this stretch opportunity for the heirs. Personally, my opinion, again, for compliance, my opinion is, yes, I think the stretch IRA rules will go away probably within the next five to seven years. I think it's going to be gone. I think what they're going to go to is what's called the five-year rule. So in the event that you don't have a beneficiary in your IRAs, if you find the right custodian, they will allow you to take it in as an inherited IRA, but you have to have that account completely withdrawn within the next five years. And so think about it right now. I mean, if your kids inherited your IRAs and they're still in earning years, And all of a sudden now they have to take out big chunks of money over a five year period of time. They're going to have a pretty large tax bill, at least at the federal level. And then depending on the state that they live, they could have additional state taxes due on that. So my opinion to you, Arnold, is yes, I believe those those rules eventually will go away. Because the argument in Congress has been that when you establish that account or when we go all the way back to Erisa in the late 70s and they created these retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, 457s, they did it specifically for the individual. An IRA stands for an individual retirement account. And the idea was not to create a long-lasting legacy with that tax umbrella. And quite frankly, let's speak freely. There are trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that are in these qualified retirement accounts where that money has never been taxed. Never. When you put it in, you got tax relief. If your employer was putting in a match, if you have pension money that goes in, they got deductions, you got deductions, it grows tax-free. And then you know, so no tax dollars has been paid on anything as it grew, and of course we know that we have to start taking money out at 70 and a half, but what a tax revenue grab that would be if they did away with the stretch IRA rules and allowing your heirs to stretch that out over their lifetime. You know, that, that would, um, if all of a sudden it went to five years, you know, I, I've seen in situations where uh, people either inherited it incorrectly, or they were under that five-year rule, they're losing 40% minimum. Well, depending on the state, it can be even higher, 40%, 35% because they're already making real good money now and they're gonna lose it all to tax versus if they only had to take a little bit out and stretch that out over time to maybe the point of when they get to be retired. Now they have this other account, they can withdraw it, their income has fallen, they're paying lower tax dollars. So I really believe that we're gonna see that stretch IRA go by the wayside over the course of the next, like I said, five to seven years. So listen, that's all I've got today. Hopefully that has been helpful. And if you have any questions that you or scenarios that you want us to address, just feel free to go to smartmoneyquestions.com. You can put that in. There's a form right there that you can send it, or you can send us an email, or even like we had earlier today, we had follow-ups to some of the questions or the scenarios that we've spoke about. Feel free to send those over to us info at smartmoneyquestions.com or if you just want to have a phone conversation don't hesitate just pick the phone up we're at 610-719-3003 so i hope all is well everyone hopefully this has been helpful you've gotten something out of this look forward to talking to you soon thanks again